0: This is Katie, and you're listening to the Terrible Things Podcast. Please note, this podcast contains themes that some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Anthony Robert Harvey was born in Queensland on Friday the 29th of October 1993. The eldest of three children, Anthony was the only boy in the family with two younger sisters. As a young child, Anthony's parents were employed in seasonal work, which meant the family travelled around to wherever the work would take them. In 2001, when he was eight years old, the Harvey family settled in Bundaberg, a coastal city in Queensland's southeast. The family remained in Bundaberg for eight years when, in 2009, Anthony's parents relocated to Western Australia. Anthony remained behind in Queensland, residing in the city of Gladstone with his grandparents for a short time before following his parents over to WA. Anthony Harvey left high school only shortly before he would have completed grade 12, having been offered full-time employment at the age of 17. He worked as a cleaner for a subcontracting group at the Sino Iron Mine in Cape Preston, Western Australia. In the five years that Anthony worked at the Sinon mine, he rose up the ranks and landed in a supervisory position responsible for 40 staff members. It was within the first 12 months of this job that Anthony Harvey would meet Mara. Very little is publicly known about Mara's life outside the information related to Anthony Harvey. Mara was known to be a frugal woman, saving her earnings from working in the mining sector In 2008, she purchased herself a house on Coon Street in the Perth suburb of Bedford. And moving forward, she remained financially comfortable, owning other property and maintaining a sizable savings account. Mara was around 35 years old when she met Anthony in 2012, making her 17 years his senior. Regardless of the large age gap, the two soon became romantically involved and after dating for only a short period of time, they became engaged in August of 2014. Five months into the engagement, on the 3rd of February 2015, Mara and Anthony would welcome their first child into the world, a daughter who they named Charlotte Kate Harvey. In around August of 2016, Anthony would leave his job in mining and move in with his fiancée and daughter into the Coote Street House. Mara then sold off some additional property she owned in order to buy the couple a Jim's Mowing franchise, which they operated together. Anthony would complete the physical work while Mara undertook the administrative side of the business, whilst also caring for their daughter Charlotte. Anthony and Mara married in November 2015, and then eight months later, on the 26th of July 2016, they welcomed twin girls Alice Esther and Beatrix May into their growing family. The next two years passed without incident, the neighbours describing the Harveys as, quote, the perfect family. Twins Alice and Beatrix were often seen wearing matching outfits and Mara's mother, Beverly Quinn, could be seen at the house almost every day to help her daughter with housework and the care of the children. Mara loved being a mother and flourished in the role. On the 23rd of August, 2018, Anthony Harvey attended a cash city shop, pouring a number of electrical tools for a total of $1,100. Later the same day, he travelled roughly 30 kilometers to a knife shop in Bibber Lake, where he sold some more tools and purchased a small knife for $100. He then drove to Leaderville, where he purchased a Polaroid camera from a camera store. Four days later, on the 27th of August, Anthony returned to the knife shop in Bibber Lake, where he made some inquiries about a particular knife. The owner of the shop informed Anthony that the particular one he wanted could be ordered in and would arrive sometime in October. However, Anthony declined this and left the store. Another two days later, on the 29th of August, Anthony returned to the store for the third time. This time, Anthony requested a, quote, large knife. He then purchased one of the largest knives in the store, described by the owner as almost the size of a machete. Anthony paid $315 for the knife in cash and left. On Friday the 31st, Anthony's mother visited from her home in WA's northeast to stay with Anthony, Myra and the children for the weekend. Anthony's mother left on the 2nd of September, which was also the day that Father's Day fell in for the year. On the morning of Monday, the 3rd of September, Anthony and Mara attended a branch of the Commonwealth Bank in Dianella when Mara signed Anthony on as a third-party authority, allowing him full access to the account which had, up until that time, belonged solely to Mara. That evening... Mara had a shift at the Inglewood Coles supermarket, working from eight until eleven pm. Upon her return home, shortly after eleven pm, Mara was greeted outside by her husband. Unbeknownst to Mara, Anthony had retrieved a metal pipe from their shed, and as Mara turned to enter the house, he struck her in the head from behind. Mara fell to the ground, bleeding but still very much alive. Anthony went inside the kitchen and retrieved the larger of the knives he had purchased before returning to his wife, who was lying face down in the back lawn. Anthony then stabbed his wife until he was sure she was dead. A postmortem would later reveal that she received a total of twelve stab wounds, seven to her back and five to her chest. The knife penetrated deep into Mara's chest cavity, causing significant damage to her heart and other internal organs. Anthony stayed with Mara's body for a while, sitting quietly next to his dead wife in the garden of their home. After some time, he carried the body into their bedroom and laid Mara on the bed, covering her with a blanket. Next, Anthony lived on to his children, and for this task, he swapped knives to the smaller of the two he had purchased. Two-year-old twins Alice and Beatrix were asleep together in one bedroom, while three year old Charlotte slept in separate separately. First, Anthony stabbed Beatrix, then Alice, and then he moved through the home and finished by stabbing Charlotte to death. The children's postmortems were revealed the brutality that they had endured at the hand of their father. Beatrix had suffered a total of nine sharp force injuries. She had stab wounds to her right eye, her cheek, and her chest. One stab wound to the toddler's eye had penetrated her skull, severing her right carotid artery. The wounds in her chest had caused significant damage to her heart and other internal organs. Alice had received a total of 13 sharp force injuries to her chest, her left wrist and her left eye. Of these, six stab wounds to her chest had penetrated the chest cavity, causing massive internal trauma. So much so, the medical examiner had difficulty matching the internal injuries with the external wounds. Charlotte had borne the brunt of her father's rage, receiving a total of 38 sharp force injuries. Of these wounds, 22 were clustered in an area of the child's chest. These stab wounds had penetrated Charlotte's chest cavity, causing horrific damage to her internal organs, specifically her heart. Just like with Alice, the medical examiner had difficulty matching the internal injuries with the external wounds. With his entire family now annihilated, Anthony Harvey finished off a bottle of wine he had opened earlier in the evening and had a shower. Knowing his mother-in-law would be over the next morning, he then began cleaning the blood from outside the home, so not as to alert her to the carnage that had taken place. Around seven a.m. the following morning, Beverly Quinn arrived at the home, carrying a load of the Harvey family's washing in a large washing basket. Anthony met Beverly outside and offered his help carrying things into the home. As the two entered, Anthony retrieved the pipe from where he had hidden it in the kitchen and swung it at Beverly's head. Beverly fell to the kitchen floor, bleeding heavily from her head but still breathing. And so, Anthony reached for the large knife again and stabbed his mother-in-law mother to death. Beverly Quinn's post-mortem would reveal that the 73-year-old woman had been stabbed approximately 14 times, all in the region of her chest. The medical examiner had some difficulty distinguishing the precise number of wounds as they were clustered together and hard to isolate from one another. One of the stab wounds was so deep that it penetrated the entire chest cavity and exited through Beverly's back. Now exhausted from destroying an entire family, Anthony showered and then fell asleep on the couch, not waking until the following morning. Upon waking on the morning of the 5th of September, Anthony left the house to buy a takeaway coffee and to, quote, drive around for a while before returning to the home. Upon his return, Anthony made the decision to rearrange the bodies of his family members. He propped Mara up on the master bed and spread her arms wide. He then carried the bodies of his daughters into the master bedroom one by one and posed them in their mother's arms, giving the illusion that Mara was simply lying in bed cuddling her children. Anthony then covered the bodies with a blanket before gathering all of the children's favourite toys and arranging them on the bed. He left Beverly's body where it lay in the kitchen of the home, simply covering her with a blanket. Later that same morning, Anthony drove to a convenience store where he purchased some flowers which he placed on the bodies. In addition to the flowers, Anthony wrote notes, one addressed to Mara and one addressed to Beverly. To Mara, he wrote, quote, To my beautiful wife, I'm so sorry. I love you with all my heart. I think I've lost my mind. Take care of those little girls like you always did. In the note to Beverly, Anthony wrote, quote, Beverly, I'm so, so, so sorry. You all deserve so much better. I love you. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Sometime on the 4th of September, Myra's boss from Coles had texted her, offering her an additional shift. This text went unanswered until the afternoon of the 5th, when Anthony called the store on behalf of his wife. Anthony apologised for Mara's lack of response, telling the store manager that Mara had injured her foot kicking a soccer ball, breaking two bones. Anthony explained that Mara was currently undergoing surgery to pin the bones, and this was to reason that Anthony was calling instead of Mara. The manager requested that Mara supply a medical certificate and Anthony responded that that wouldn't be a problem. When he was later interviewed by police, the manager said that Anthony had seemed very calm. Later that afternoon, Anthony attended a car yard in Osborne Park, approximately 8 kilometres away from his home. Anthony told the salesman that he wanted to sell his car as his business was failing and he was needed to work up north. Anthony and the salesman agreed on $12,000, at which point Anthony requested cash. Anthony was told that this was not possible and agreed to a bank transfer. When he could not remember the password to his bank account, the salesman suggested he call his wife for the password. Anthony agreed and stepped outside for a short time before returning, claiming he couldn't get through. After further discussions about a cash check, the salesman again suggested that Anthony called his wife. To which he responded by saying, it's a bit complicated. After finally deciding on a cash check to be collected the following day, the salesman offered to give Anthony a lift home. Anthony instead requested a lift to a nearby shopping centre, telling the man that he was meeting his wife and daughters for ice cream. Later that evening, Anthony arranged to meet up with a man who was selling his vehicle on Gumtree. After a brief inspection, Anthony agreed to buy the car and paid a total of three thousand two hundred dollars in cash and spot. The following day, September the sixth, Anthony returned to the car yard and collected the cash check. He then went to a pawn shop where he sold some jewelry for one thousand dollars. That same day, Anthony transferred approximately twenty nine thousand dollars from multiple bank accounts into the one that Mara had signed the third party authority for. On the 7th of September, Anthony went to a camping store where he purchased three 20-litre jerrycans. cans. That night, instead of returning home to sleep with the decaying bodies of his family, as he had done up until this point, Anthony drove to the coast and slept in his car at Hillary's Boat Harbour. Anthony was seen leaving the car park the following morning around 8am, driving to a bank where he withdrew $29,500 from Miles bank account and a further $9,500 from her credit card account. Anthony then called his father, who lived just over 1,400 kilometers away in the northwest town of Panawonica. He told his father he wanted to come and visit, which his father said was fine. Anthony's father told his son to call him when he reached Nanatara, a town about an hour out of Panawonica. The 1,400-kilometre drive would have taken Anthony at least 14 hours to make. When he was an hour out of Nanataro, Anthony called his father to let him know, and it was arranged that Anthony's mother and father would meet their son at a rest area in the town. At roughly 11 a.m. on the 9th of September, Anthony pulled into the rest area in Nanatara and met with his parents. Sensing something was wrong, Anthony's father pressed his son for an explanation. After some prodding, Anthony told his father that he had, quote, done something really wrong, and also that he had, quote, hurt them, hurt all of them. Anthony's father called Triple Zero, telling the operator what Anthony had told him, and asking them to attend the Harvey's residence in Bedford. He then drove Anthony to the Panamonica Police Department, where Anthony handed himself over to police. Shortly before midday, junior officers from the Bayswater Police Department were sent to the Harvey residence in Bedford, where they discovered the bodies of Beverly, Mara, Charlotte, Alice and Beatrix, as Anthony had left them. Officers from the Panawonica Police Station were sent to search Anthony's car that had been left in the rest area in Nanatara. In the car... Officers found a jacket that contained approximately $40,000 in one of the pockets. The two knives used in the murders were also located, as well as two journals written by Anthony. Inside one of the journals was a stack of Polaroid photographs showing the deceased bodies of Anthony Harvey's family, taken only a short time after their murders. Anthony was arrested for the five murders and taken to Caratha to be interviewed by the Caratha police. He was interviewed extensively on the 10th of September, telling police his account of exactly what he had done and admitting that he had full memory of the entire attack. However, Anthony said that he did not know why he had done it, saying he had no motive to commit such acts. There were no issues in his marriage and he was not angry at his family. He missed them and loved them dearly. Anthony did admit to having some feelings of anxiety and depression However, he said he could not identify a reason for these feelings. Anthony also denied the use of any drugs and said he had drunk more than he normally would on the evening of the 3rd. However, it was not to excess. On the 10th of September, Anthony Harvey was charged with five counts of murder and appeared via video link from Carrethal to Perth Magistrates Court. During this hearing, Anthony said nothing other than, yes, or I understand when he was asked by the magistrate if he understood each of the charges. Anthony was not required to enter a plea this hearing, and was remanded in custody. Following the hearing, Mara's sister Taryn released a statement on behalf of the family. Taryn thanked everyone for their support during a, quote, extremely dark and difficult time. She went on to say, quote, There are no words to explain the emptiness and loss that we are feeling. Taryn described Beverly Quinn, her mother, as a kind-hearted, caring mother and grandmother who was always there for her family, saying, She was very much family-orientated. She loved her daughters and her grandchildren. She would have done anything for them. Of Mara, Taryn said that she, quote, Loved being a mum and loved her girls. She was so proud of each of them and was doing a great job of raising them. Her girls were her world. Going on to describe the girls, Taran explained that Charlotte was an energetic, bubbly, confident little girl. Alice was outgoing, adventurous and cheeky, and Beatrix was a little bit quieter, but quote, gave the biggest hugs. Taran finished by saying, quote, this world is a sadder place with the loss of these five beautiful people, but heaven has gained five new angels. On the 24th of April 2019, Anthony Robert Harvey pled guilty to all five counts of murder. The delay in court appearances came down to two factors according to the judge, Justice Stephen Hall. The first of which was investigations into Anthony's mental health by a forensic psychologist. The second was that the defence wished to wait for the post-mortems to be completed before entering their plea. Due to the number of victims and the extent of the injuries, the post-mortems understandably took a long time to complete. Anthony was again remanded in custody to await his sentencing hearing. On the 21st of June, 2019, Anthony's hearing began. As the details of the brutal killings were read aloud, quiet sobbing could be heard from the public gallery. Anthony hung his head and covered his ears. Justice Hall placed a suppression order on some aspects of the crime as he believed them to be too confronting to reveal to the public. Acting for the state, Prosecutor Amanda Forrester said, While it is difficult to have to consider imprisoning a 25-year-old for the rest of his natural life, Anthony Harvey should never be released. His crimes are so severe and have such a wide-ranging impact any community member would expect he would be deprived of his liberty for the rest of his days when a person destroys an entire family unit in the way that he has, in a premeditated, violent, almost incomprehensibly and in way, way and the community interest no less. They did not mean My submission that the 25-year-old should be locked up for the rest of, of his natural life. The defence offered a psychiatric report Sam as evidence in the trial. This that report showed that Harvey did not white. suffer from any major psychiatric disorders and that alcohol was not an aggravating factor in this case. The psychologist did say that Harvey presented as consistent with a diagnosis of high-functioning autism. However, she could not make this diagnosis officially based on the short period of time she had spent with the defendant. She also went on to mention that there is a significant overlap between the criteria for high-functioning autism and narcissistic personality disorder, which is characterized by, quote, grandiosity, lack of remorse, empathy or guilt, and a lack of concern for others, and that it would be difficult to disentangle the two potential diagnoses without further assessment. In concluding the report, the psychologist stated that Harvey was not depressed or psychotic at the time of the offences, and that, although it is possible that his lack of empathy due to the autism allowed him to engage in more extreme violence, it did not present any mitigatory value. Other mitigating factors raised by the defence were Harvey's young age, given that he was only 25 years old at the time of sentencing, the fact that he had pleaded guilty, and the fact that he had, overall, been cooperative with law enforcement. On the subject of Harvey's age, Justice Hall said that at the age of 24 when the crimes were committed, Harvey was past the point where his youth would have caused impulsivity, and said, quote, You were a mature man with no serious intellectual impairment, and there was nothing impulsive about these offences. The aggravating factors significantly outweighed the mitigatory factors. Premeditation, the use of multiple weapons, the number of victims, the lapse of time between murders, the vulnerability of the victims, and the conduct of Harvey after the murders were all raised as aggravating factors. Relating to the vulnerability of the children, Justice Hall said, The children were very young and asleep in their beds, in their home. This was the place where they should have been safest. They should have been able to trust their father to protect them. That is the most fundamental duty any parent has. You breached that trust and failed in that duty in the most extreme way imaginable. Anthony Robert Harvey was sentenced to five life sentences and became the first person in West Australian history to ever be given a never-to-be-released sentence. Mara's sister, Taryn, asked that her family members not be known for how they dined, but for who they were. She said, quote, Please remember my mum, Beverly, as a generous, committed, loving mum and friend that she was. My sister Mara, for her love, support and determination. My nieces." Charlotte for her enthusiasm and laughter, Alice for her sense of adventure and cheekiness, and Beatrix for her spirit, and of course, her hugs.